oh my gosh, how can you not move to that song? <laughs> happy Friday. Hello, Jess. How are you? Happy but Friday. Actually, happy Saturday to you. It is. Yes. <laughs> uh, Jessica wasn't hearing the song. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. Oh, I hope no. you didn't have uh, uh, technical issues. Hi, refresh Bill. Tab. Refresh. Hit refresh. Uh, welcome, everyone, to the Friday Digital Meetup. It is Friday, August 18th. So great to see you. Episode number 167. Wow. 167. Steve, we've missed you. Bryce, good to see you. Madame, yes. good to see you. Sheila, everyone, everyone, we always start the same way. For those of you the first time, let us know you're here. Hi, David. Uh, let us know you're here. Say hello and say you're a first timer. Uh, we're not going to haze or anything like that, but it's important that we know we have some first timers here. So please mm -hmm. let us know. Um, as you guys know, we've been doing this 167 weeks, 168 weeks, 169 weeks uh, since March 12th when COVID uh, first started in 2020 as a way to bring communities together. So Cheryl, I'm glad you're here live. Um, yes. I'm glad you listened to the recordings once in a while. I just got notified. We just got, went over a million listeners to this show. Amazing. Like all the podcast yeah. replays and stuff. All the podcast. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, great. Uh, Cheryl, you're, so let us know where you're joining from. And then we always uh, put your LinkedIn address in as well. We have our guests do that too. Um, oh my gosh, yes. LinkedIn address in as well. You'll want to, I mean, they'll, that'll be here later, but uh, yeah. please go ahead and put your LinkedIn address. It'd be great to have the community connect with each other, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Jess, you are, I'm trying to see where you are. Are you in Minneapolis? I'm in Minneapolis. Oh, yes. <laughs> For Minneapolis, a couple of weeks. Uh, it's good. It's very, you know, the air is changing. I can feel autumn wants to come. The air cools more at night than it has in a while. Uh, but it's still beautiful and summery. And the girls are uh, counting down the days until school start with not all that much enthusiasm. <laughs> Uh, and some of you, I know, your kids are already back. In yeah, it's crazy to see the pictures online of people going back to school and things like that. It's amazing. Hey, yeah. uh, this the the crowd participation is not good here, right. Jess. It's a little bit dead. Uh, so please let us know where you're joining from. Put your LinkedIn address. Maybe I'm just on like a uh, delay. I'm actually joining from Singapore, where it is Saturday morning at 1.04 a.m., uh, and uh, it was 31 degrees Celsius when I just landed. Um, mm. Literally, I just got to the hotel. I haven't unpacked. Um, so it's 90 still at uh, 105 in the morning here in, uh, in Singapore. Wow. Uh, so thank you guys for putting in your uh, info. Thanks for the uh, interaction. Glad yeah. to see that. We've got Minneapolis. We've got North India. We've got Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. Um. Uh, did you ever sing in Singapore? Uh, we'll try that. I'll try that, Leah, while I'm here this trip. Um, Portland, Oregon, good to see. So, Jess, um, the next thing we do is everyone knows this already. That's but for those of you new, we ask um, how you are. Uh, I think it's probably one of the most important questions that can be asked in the world. I don't think we do enough of it. And uh, I've been doing a lot of work this week, which I'll talk about in a second, on leadership and what makes a great leader. And no matter what you read and what you study, it's the concept of listening mm -hmm. and it's the concept of empathy and compassion. So uh, as I was doing a lot of the research this week, it actually made me think about this question because 
we don't ask this question just for fun, green, yellow, red. You know, we ask this question out of true caring, um, you know, and a great leader's job is to make everyone around them better than themselves, better than the person that's actually leading. Uh, and that's really the goal of this uh, of community. So the answers are green, yellow, and red. Green, you feel great today. Yellow, so-so, not so good. Red, could use a hug. We'll just say could use a hug instead of uh, not a good day. Yeah. Um, but go ahead and do, uh, let us know your green, yellow, and red. Heidi's yellow, reddish. Uh, sorry to hear that, Heidi. Heidi, where are you? It's Heidi's in Minneapolis, Jess. You should, take her, you should take her out for a drink. I would, but I'm not doing that long flight again just to take her out. Well, I will. <laughs> Uh, you're gonna oh, I'm sorry. No, fourteen-year-old. Fourteen-year-old dog. Sorry, I, have I can't a dog wait to have Katarina on on here. This is our version of liking a song on spot. We're, this is our AI sentiment right here. <laughs> we do what <laughs> Jessica can always use a hug. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bryce, I'm sorry to hear that you're red. Let us know if we can do anything. Susie adopted two kittens this week. Green. Um, wanted some more green, so here I am. Glad, Kristen. We can send hugs to everyone. Yes, Jess, that's fine. But yeah. uh, some people need them more than others. My wife got a job that will handle our healthcare needs. Congratulations, Brad. Um, you've been that I person for that, years. I love that Bob knows that I would like this update on GNR. That Axel's not so good. Axel's red and Slash is green. Okay, that's a good update on Guns and Roses. <laughs> I know that, uh, Kim, you went through the same thing. And... Um, Unfortunately, I have a 13 and three quarters year old lab that uh, is not doing that great. Uh, so I am. Uh, I think we're going to be in the same spot. Janice is here. Awesome. That's exciting. I'm so, so excited to see Janice. Amazing. So the next thing we do, you guys, and we have to, we have some amazing guests. So I want to get to them. But yeah. just what's your one thing? Your My one, one thing, thing. That you, this week. Yeah. I know that you had birthday parties. I know you had... Um, yeah, my youngest. What's one thing? You know, the youngest keeps getting older and older, which I guess means my I'm getting older and older. I don't know how this happens. I am going to keep this short and sweet because we have two amazing guests. But um, I was thinking a lot about this. My oldest is starting high school in a couple of weeks, 14, heading into the ninth grade. And she went out for volleyball, high school volleyball. This is not her primary sport. Everybody who follows me knows I have three fast pitch softball players. Uh, this is not her primary sport, but her friend wanted her to try out. So she went for it. Um, no practice, no prep. She just went for it. And the, you know this because your kids are older and they've gone through this. But once you reach a certain age, all of the protection of childhood <laughs> starts falling away. You're not guaranteed a participation ribbon for everything you try and go out to do. And she was cut in tryouts. Not much volleyball experience. She didn't prep. She didn't go to camps over the summer to try to make it. She kind of just went to support her friend, but then she wanted to make it. And so she was really disappointed uh, when she didn't. And she said to me, I wish I hadn't done this. I wasted my time and now I feel bad. And we had a huge conversation about what it means to go for it, to try and fail, to take a risk with no, you know, guarantee of payoff, like, welcome to the real world, honey. <laughs> You're like, this is going to start to happen to you more and more. And it doesn't mean you don't go for it. It was just a kind of a big moment in conversation with her. She's still feeling a little wounded, but I'm so glad she went for it. 
It really is. And I think it, it, it's so funny, Jess, that mine was going to be about my kid as well. Um, <laughs> you always do kid, that. About one of my kids. Um, and, you know, once again, for those of you that know Jess and I, we definitely don't script this. We're lucky we actually just get on here um, <laughs> based on getting through customs a second ago. But um, uh, I, my 18-year-old made the decision uh, not to go to London for his pre-freshman year. Um in order to stay back in Minneapolis and to be with friends for three extra weeks. And um, that there's a lot, there's so many things I could talk to you about this because I love the fact that watching people make decisions is key yeah. to go for it and make a decision that's rational and sound um, to know that I might regret it and I'm going to learn from it if I do um, to not be afraid to talk and to know that people are going to be there to listen. Um, and I have to be a little bit, uh, it's gonna be, I don't know, humble, I guess, or I didn't get mad, mm. um, which is, I wanted to be the listening and supportive, uh, I guess, parent, but as an 18 year old, it's more of a friend almost. You're still a parent, but you're also a friend than to actually be like, what do you mean? We paid all this money. We made all these plans, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, to me, it goes back to the kind of the leadership discussion as well, which is listening is so important and letting people make decisions, letting them know that it's their life. Um, they may have regrets, but they'll learn from those regrets. And no matter what you do, it's really, really important that you're comfortable with yourself. You're not doing things for anyone else. You're doing them for yourself. And yeah. um, the fact that I watched my 18 year old make that decision and I watched my 16 year old make those decisions all the time. Um, anyway, that, that's the best thing that happened to me this week because I'm proud. That's amazing. Uh, yes, Susie, our kids do teach us a lot about ourselves. Um, and our, the other thing I'll just say about that really quickly is that these kids are much freaking smarter than I was when that's I was I know, 18, 18. Um, I remember being that savvy at 14. Maybe I, yeah, it's crazy to watch these kids come up in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, And then you start to think about the impact on work. And we're so, so excited to, you know, welcome our guests here in a few minutes. But, you know, the next thing that we talk about is then what's going to be the impact on work? Yeah. You know, when all of a sudden I have people entering the workforce. If you, if, if you think about this not that long ago, and Jess, I don't know about you, but when you entered the workforce, Dorothy, thank you for saying that. London isn't moving. Yes, we had that same conversation. Um, oh, Dorothy, I want to go on, but I'm not going to uh, on that <laughs> topic. Um, what was I saying, Jess? Uh, oh, I was talking about getting ready for work. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. When, when, when a lot of us entered the workforce, and I, uh, let me just speak for myself, and I'm not going to speak for anyone else. When I entered the workforce, I was stupid. Mm -hmm. I only had the information in my brain that I learned in school and a little bit of experience. Yeah. But I didn't have any other learning. I had newspapers and this is, I know this is old person talk, but it's really important to think about like the, well, the way people are entering the workforce today, they are so much smarter. They are so much more educated yet. They're not savvy. Hmm. What that requires is a different kind of leadership. It requires a leadership to harness their skills because we need their skills. We truly need their skills and we need their growth mindset. Um, but at the same time, we also have to realize that they haven't been through the world 
yet from a corporate standpoint, and to think about what's the right balance to teach them, but also to let them break some glass. Um, and when we start looking at brands of companies, we're watching companies every day excel by doing this well, and we're watching other companies fail by trying to hold on to the old monolithic org structures as to who reports to who in thinking of jobs as one FTE instead of really thinking about the decomposition of jobs and the skills required to be successful, you know, in 2023 and beyond. I so, oh my God, let's bring our guests on. I want to play devil's advocate so bad. And you just begged one of the questions I have for Tomas and Katerina. Are we smarter? What is AI going to do to us? I don't know. Hi, Tomas. Hi, Tomas. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? Fantastic. Welcome to this lovely community. Tomas, meet the community. Everybody say hello to Katerina and Tomas. Hello, community. Hi, Hi, Tomas. Happy Friday. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Tomas, where are you joining from? I'm in my place in London, and it's a beautiful afternoon and a much more civilized time of the day than you have over there, Jason, although you have the advantage of being in the future, and I'm always very curious about what that looks like. <laughs> True. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> very well said, Tomas. Katarina, where are you joining from? From lovely Stockholm. So, beautiful. Stockholm. Yeah. Uh, you look like you're dressed for cold weather. Is it cold there? It isn't cold if you are a Swede. It's actually late <laughs> summer. And what does that mean? It, it means that the weather is interesting. Uh, but also, I'm cheating a bit because it's not necessarily. <laughs> so it, it might look a bit like. Uh, well, Katarina, a we didn't tell you this was a no sleeves zone, as right. you can see. There's a woman at the same part. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, Thank you very much. Maybe. maybe uh, Thomas, you can start by telling us a little about yourself, um, what your role is and how you got into this world of HR. Like, did your parents raise you to be in HR? Um, did your parents raise you to be in data or like, how did you get to where you are? I was just trying to fathom if that will ever happen in the history of humanity, parents raising their kids to be in HR. I think even if both of your parents are in HR, they're probably not going to do it, although it's a lovely thought experiment. Hey, Thomas, so, I just have to share the story. One time in my life, one time when I had that said yes. someone said yes. Oh, and the, the wow. person said, to me, she said, my parents didn't raise me to be in HR, but they raised me to care about people. Ah, uh, very good. I think this that happens more often. I was in India and I almost fell off the stage because I was like, yeah. wow, yeah. amazing. That happens more often, yes. So, so, uh, so I, uh, well, I was born and raised in Argentina, uh, which has, you know, especially in the area that I was born and raised, the highest concentration of psychoanalysts per capita in the world. So I think, you know, uh, probably predetermined me to go into psychology and philosophy. And I started as a clinical psychologist. Eventually, I migrated to London, where I became a professor of organizational psychology. And that's basically what I do. I kind of, I'm, you know, there is a gap between science and practice, and I'm sort of in the middle. My legs are very widely stretched, and I'm trying to bring them together. And so my day job and my main job is I run innovation for Manpower Group. And then on the side, I still do a little bit of teaching, writing. In fact, K 
casually, but absolutely casually, I noticed that my latest book was lying here behind. Who would have thought? So <laughs> it does explore. It's called I Human AI Automation and the Quest to Reclaim What Makes Us Unique. And it's in fact endorsed by the wonderful Katerina. So thank you, Katerina. And it. I try to basically help organizations become more data-driven and also navigate the human AI age so that people can thrive in an age of increasing dependence on machines and technology. So Tomas, this big green bar just showed up on the bottom of my screen. It says, learn more about Dr. Tomas. <laughs> like, well, uh, is that like, uh, is that, um, you know, um, I would say a human said that, or is it AI maybe interested <laughs> in people talking about AI? <laughs> well, tell us about this doctor, doctor piece. So that is a PhD in organizational psychology. You know, sometimes when I'm in long flights, like you were recently, Jason, people are not feeling well and the <laughs> air hosts come and say, are you a doctor? And they wake me up and I say, only if they have problems with their parents and how they were treated <laughs> when they were young, or if they want to execute on their digital transformation. Unfortunately, I know nothing about drunkenness or, you know, fear of flying. <laughs> Well, thank you for being here. Katerina, tell us your story. Well, okay. So how did I get into HR? I think because, uh, not necessarily because my mom is Japanese, my father is Swedish, but my father was a sea captain and I grew up on the seven seas, literally, together with my sister. So kind of getting to know a lot of different cultures, countries, people from different backgrounds got me really curious on people people and also what makes us so different sometimes and so much alike no matter where we are what we do uh, what our upbringing was so I think that made me curious um, and made me start to study behavior science uh, but I also have to say and he did not plug uh, he did not make me say this but you should read that book it's a good book for anybody in HR especially if you are one of the people that says this when AI comes, mm. friends, it's here. Uh, so it's very helpful. Uh, it's uh, also thought provoking in so many ways. So uh, it's a good book, um, as your first book was, Thomas. Well, I see Megan just bought it. Uh, Kristen's, using, Kristen's using it for her book club. Uh, so we're off to a good start on the book. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. So Katarina, can you talk quickly about Spotify? It's my. People, I was I was doing a workshop this week for a bunch of CHROs in San Francisco, and I asked them what their favorite app was, and a number of them said Spotify. Um, and what's so fascinating about that to me is that that Spotify as a brand has built that. Um, I was amazed at the end of last year when all of a sudden everyone started posting these things about what their their Spotify year in review was. Yeah, things like that. Like, what an amazing campaign that was! So, can you just tell us a little about the story of Spotify? And I mean, we're going to tie this together with data because Spotify is really, in my mind, a data company, right? Um, you know, sure. and if we think about what Thomas is talking about in his book, it's really the same thing. It's a, it's, it's how do we take these data-driven companies and these roles that we're in, even though we're in an HR role, but to think about quote unquote, how do we make them superhuman with data? Yeah, so in short, uh, Daniel Eck founded the company 17 years ago. So a fairly young company. We only like 9,200 people. 
I think he has a lot of passions today, for sure. Maybe he had that 17 years ago when he was 23 years old. But one of his passions is music and the other one is coding. And mm. he didn't come up with any of them, but he put them together in a different way that we had seen before. And music industry for 20, maybe even 30 years had done this right. Uh, and um, he just put a big kind of all on red that we would change behaviors. And most people would like, because Sweden back then with the infrastructure and very highly you know, tech advanced, was more or less famous or it was very easy to do piracy. So he had a belief that a lot of people or most people would like to pay uh, for the music if it was just e simple enough. And if you could just be one click away from the catalog of all music in the world, that would be easy enough so more artists could live out of, 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 of their art and more listeners could find new music. And uh, that was our first child. And a couple of years ago, we became, uh, or we got our second child, which is podcast, and we just had gave birth to audiobooks. So kind of an audio platform today. And and we are happy that you say it's a, a love, love brand or beloved brand. Uh, we certainly love it. And as you all know, music enhances every moment in your life, no matter if you're falling in love, breaking up, uh, are, 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 are very, very tired, sad or whatever. So it's, it's part of, of I guess, um, the things that makes us human too and connects us. It's and Karina, I think, brand. I think that was my favorite part. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that I think is really interesting is, well, I just have to pick on Leah for a second for uh, saying she's still stuck on Pandora. Because uh, <laughs> I forgot about Pandora um, <laughs> until uh, until you just said it. So, uh, Leah, Leah, excuse me, thank you for uh, for calling that out. Um, yes, my kids would say the same thing. Um, big Spotify user and love the rap to your review, even if some of my favorite songs are very cringe. <laughs> Which begs the question: We're talking to a, you know, somebody, two people who understand human behavior very well. I have twenty-eight. I looked this morning. Twenty-eight curated playlists on Spotify. Could you look at my Spotify playlists and know me as a person? This is what we debate all the time. Thomas usually say this, and I think the first time we met, you actually I said to me. Man. Show me your playlist or what you're listening to, and I will tell you who you are. And I think that is very correct. So over to you, Thomas, because that's actually your favorite thing. That is how we met. Indeed, I was remembering this as well. So, you know, before meeting the wonderful Katarina and some of her team, not just in HR, talent, people, culture, but also more widely at Spotify, we actually had done some research on what your music preferences say about your personality and publish a bunch of papers. And this was way before, you know, you had AI algorithms. It's very tedious. You had to ask people and then, you know, you were limited to what people reported. And of course, if you ask people, what's your favorite kind of music? Everybody says the same, which is, oh, I listen to all sorts of things. I'm so complex, you know, sometimes yeah. a bit of jazz. And suddenly when you look at their playlists, there's a lot of, you know, Miley Cyrus, Justin Bieber, and, yeah. you know, stuff that they maybe they don't want to report depending on age. So what I will say as a hardcore heavy Spotify user is that no recommendation engine can predict my preferences with such a high degree of accuracy to the point that, you know, even though I think I know music and I'm snobby in my preferences, actually, when it's more like this, it's 100% accurate. And I think, you know, there's still what people work out about our preferences 
which might be different from what an AI engine can do. There's a difference between giving you the right song and actually understanding you or even understanding who you're trying to be when you're listening to, you know, A, B, or C. So this is kind of, I want to make this point. Look at how okay, not just okay, but accustomed and hungry we are for these kind of personalized experiences in our everyday lives. Nobody had to announce Spotify to us. I mean, I'm sure there was, you know, it was all grand launches and feature announcements and that kind of thing, but nobody had to force adoption. Nobody had to ask if we were okay with recommendations. Sure, we sign off on data privacy stuff. Um, we just do it. We just adopt it because it's good. It's right. It feels good. It enhances my life. Like I'm, I'm a super user too, Tomas. Like Spotify is in the, the most important place on my screen where I can click at it most more, more than messages, you know? Um, and we're just okay with these personalized, hyper-personalized data-driven experiences in our everyday lives. We act like it's so hard to mimic this in our experience of work. Um, as usual, we should borrow more consumer-like behaviors for workforce experiences. Where is all of this FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt coming from when it comes to AI for work? Jason. Can I just ask a quick question? Yes. I'm going to ask, have you ever been working on writing, Thomas? And I've read numbers of your well, not books, right? I've read your books too, but uh, online, like I was working on a LinkedIn post on the flight from Minneapolis to Korea. And all of a sudden, I don't know why I was writing it in LinkedIn instead of in like Word or something, but my browser crashed and I wasn't online. Um, and I was like, oh my God, I just lost this. But the whole thing, and I promise you I'm going to post it because I have to, now I'm going to rewrite it, is just about exactly what you just said, Jess, is this concept of consumer technology and AI when things like ChatGPT on the generative AI hit the scene in December of 2022, all of a sudden people saw capabilities. People see Spotify and they see that capability. Even Elise said something like, I mean, Spotify feels a lot more fun, less intrusive yeah. than employee listening, which ties back to the same thing. So I think all of us are in the spot where cons outside of work, we're ahead of inside of work um, for various reasons. And I think back to just what you were just asking, Tomas, is like, where's this going? Because I think we're deadly behind inside of work. And I think we have to, you know, step on the accelerator fast, not buying new technology, but getting ready for what's coming and creating the mindset that, so that we are ready. Tomas? Uh, you know, I think it's... Uh you know, very shrewd observation, but look, I think people have very personal relationship relationships with music. It's very hard to find anything else that is as universally um, powerful and that can connect you on an intellectual, emotional level. And as Katerina knows, when, you know, the pandemic, which is when you started this um the show started you know we were in freaking conversations around how spotify data could actually map the moods of the world and you know i think you published right katarina data on how feelings during the commute or working from home etc actually could tell you you know the, the and i think only music can do that 
even some, something like podcasts, it's, it's incredibly personal, but usually it's more of an intellectual connection or, you know, familiarity. I mean, but music is, I think, very powerful. And I think, you know, as a, as a manager of people, I would even like to have access to my team's mood via the music they listen to, because I don't, I don't micromanage them and I don't care where they are if I tell them what to do and I give them resources and direction. But if somebody in my team is feeling very upbeat because the music changes or very sad and they want to share that with me, why not? You know, for some people, it might be a more powerful way to convey their feelings than coming or emailing or, you know, so I think it's, it's a very unique thing. And I'm extremely interested in how we can understand us better individually and collectively through our musical preferences and our patterns of listening and understanding music. But yes, I also think the one of the biggest difference, uh, or maybe it was your point uh, uh, made, uh, Jason, is this, when it comes to music or whatever you do on your free time, right? Con it's actually me choosing to change the behavior um, on something that I appreciate. I think the changes that would come in workplace, I think the way that we sometimes are wired is this, that we might like change if we initiate our, ourselves. The okay. change that is coming in workplace, I think is usually, I am a bit scared, one, scared because I not necessarily understand what it is, two, I might even be tech averse, but, but three, I think it's more like, Somebody else right now is telling me that it's changing and I can't really see that I want that. I asked for it where if it's easy for me to find every music that I want to hear. And if, even also if somebody nudged me and says, if you like this, you might like this. I don't think it necessarily works that in our day to day. It's like if you might like this, like you might like label more than <laughs> L&D, then you might like this. Right. So I think it's that kind of. Um, a bit normal, hmm, I'm a bit uh, suspicious about, but for sure, I think it could be as playful. Obviously, if you are in a company that is leaning in and it's not like AI is coming, but the whole kind of product is built like that, we also then have automation and that digitalization, but for sure that AI and that generative AI in the products or the services for sure in HR to the rest of the community of, of our organization too. Not saying that we're there 100%. I'm saying that we're lurking around and playing around with it. And, and some things are working, some things are not working, but it, it freed time for us to do the things that a human can only do, mm -hmm. where the human connectivity and the, the, the tissue and, and kind of the, the, the building the rapport so yeah. I think it has freed a lot of time. So I think you need to see the perks of, of the new technology and AI and especially the large, you know, uh, language models, how helpful that actually is, right? Especially if you're a global company, different languages, and you want to interpret a lot of data. But but until we can see what it does for me, I think there is a bit of resistance, right? Tomas, I, I'm going to... I'm going to paint a picture here because I, I, I really want to get to what's all this for? Like, what's really the goal? What's the purpose here? I've heard you say, Tomas, uh, it, this is sort of an AI term. Some of us have come to know about humans in the loop, making sure we're validating, you know, supported decisions. 
Uh, and I've heard you say it's not just about humans in the loop. It's about making sure people can thrive and flourish as a result of all of this. So imagine this for us Spotify super users, and it looks like there are many of us in the community. I look for, I literally, I'm such a geek. I look forward to my new Discover Weekly playlist every single week. Sometimes it's on, sometimes it's way off, but I love that freshly curated list based on a million data points that Spotify thinks I will like. And I listen to it and I like, or I remove, or I, you know, I validate the information. I literally look forward to it. I'm such a nerd. It's like the highlight of my Mondays. <laughs> imagine, imagine if we used AI for good in our work lives. Imagine if my work week was curated based on what I'm most effective doing at certain times of the day or days of the week, when tasks are best accomplished or you produced high quality work. Jason upvoted it. He validated the quality of that work last week. So we're gonna put more of that kind of work like this and like imagine, like just, you know, kind of create the, the parallel in your mind. Imagine if we used all of the potential application of intelligent experiences to actually make us flourish at work. Tomas, I'd love you to explain sort of that concept that you talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, with yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, of course. So I think first, you know, um, I think it's good to start by acknowledging that sometimes humans create more problems than solutions when they are in the loop, right? For example, self-driving cars could be ready tomorrow if you take away all the human drivers, one human driver will create a lot of accidents, <laughs> yeah. even in a world of very fun. Uh, if you have video interview technology, you know, and you introduce humans in the loop to that's when the bias is introduced. It's not in the algorithms, right? Musical preferences, of course, are all about biases because you cannot persuade me to change what I like and you cannot persuade me to change, you know, how something impacts my mood and so on. But I think just because most of the new jobs that are created by technology require more humans with the right skills, interests, and motivations to do these jobs, we should expect talent shortages to continue, talent markets to be tight, and more job openings increasing compared to the number of people looking for jobs. Therefore, we have to upskill and reskill people so that they're ready to do that. And I think on a very sort of a tactical level of the human AI interaction, what you describe is a very feasible scenario, which is let's use all the technology we can to diagnose and understand what happens, but let's inject human behavior and the right human actions to leverage that technology. So I could be running a virtual team meeting now, and the three of you are my team. And I would love to have AI telling me that you're bored, that when you're nodding, you're actually being fake and that you want me to shut up because I've been mansplaining something for five minutes. But then I decide what to do with that decision. And I can still say, hey, you know, Katina, you've been quiet. What do you think? Or I can ignore it and get defensive. So we will be augmented in our interactions with others if we pay attention to all the data and the insights that we couldn't arrive to intuitively but we still have to act. And so going from data to insights is what AI does very well. Going from insights to action is what humans should be valued for. Yes. And, and Thomas and Katarina, one of the things I think that's interesting about what, what you just said is 
are we ready to act on data? Um, you know, we still work with organizations every day who just want to get a, a report showing how many people work in each department. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that is a really valid question. Uh, and obviously different companies are approaching that different and are, diff are not necessarily all that mature. Being in a company where everything is more or less data, 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 analytics and data, and we kind of all love it. I kind of drive a hard part in here where I say that we should not be data uh, driven, but we should be more data informed. And I usually, and then that people go like, why? Because data is all in the data. And I usually then compare it or use the metaphor that data is like a bikini. Uh, and, and we all know that uh, a bikini shows a lot of things, but not necessarily always the most important things or parts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you don't want to be seduced by data, too, even if it is important and it actually shows most of it. But there are other things, too, like in, you know, intuition. And we all know that that is experience. And if you if we all have by using the, like the dips kind of, of, of format or, or formula, we all have more or less the same data. Some companies have more uh, regarding their customers or clients or whatever. Uh, or, and some have less, but if we all have more or less the same data in a connected world today, uh, that is up and, 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 and digital 364 kind of, then the insights will be the same. Then you will most likely, if you're semi-smart, come to the same insights and then, hey, uh, and your beliefs will then will be the, the same more or less. And, and you will make a couple of bets as a company or as an individual or as a team or a group. You need to have, if you're going to be at least in a competitive landscape, you need to have a couple of contrarian bets, right? And this is not necessarily where all the data leads you the right way then, because then everybody is doing the same thing. And then it's a, it's a lot of, 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 hey, trying and testing and eating, you know, the same cookies like everybody else, but you might want to eat something else or you want to, do, you know, deliver something else. So data is all good. And I think we all need to be mature. So I'm not on that. Wagon, but I think where I sit, where we are very data informed and, and where it does help us, and obviously it's a very big part of the personalization when you do 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 the, the but it has to do with I think you you can't put everything on, on, on red or black saying that data will be the one and only solution and it will guide us in all our decision. There are other things too, and this is where the human touch I think is very interesting. Um, uh, connected to also what you just said, Thomas, um, where there's one part and then it kind of is, is handing over the baton uh, where humans need to, okay, why are we doing it? How are we using it in one context to be clear and also hopefully consistent and, and, and very much more compelling? Um, but I will, I, will, I will hand over gladly to you, Thomas, on, on your thoughts there. But I, I, think, I think we need to mature to your point, Jason, I think there are a lot of companies that are not doing people analytics really right or well, or that that not it's not even the base of like it's the the people analytics or we call it HR insights. All the things that we have is the base on more or less the, the company and the business decisions. So so I might be the wrong person to to speak about how how we need to mature or move into that or and own all that. Because it's not just about collecting the dots. You you also have to connect the dots, right? 
Well, there, I mean, there are days, Thomas, I'll get really quick. I mean, there are days that I wonder if the HR analytics term and department and all of that stuff hurts us. Mm. Um, where we all just need to be Thomas's. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we can't, but we all just need to be able to take data, look at recommendations, look at insights and be able to make decisions on them. I just have to say that you're, that's the only uh, response to a statement ever that has included both bikinis and cookies. Uh, in the same response, I think, but uh, it's good for a Friday evening. Yeah, Thomas, and uh, I mean Freud would find a very close connection between bikinis and cookies, which is, you know, <laughs> we don't need to. We don't need to go there, even even though it is Friday. Uh, look, I think you know on a very simple level, data tells us what is, but not what ought to be. Right? I mean, it's as simple like you want the scale to be working so that you know how much you weigh, but it won't tell you how much you ought to weigh to be happy or what you need to do to achieve it. And, you know, so, I mean, I think Katarina is right to use data informed, even if the methods for crunching the data and translating into insights advance. And even if we get to a point where some of the decisions become so predictable that you need to de-emphasize human intervention then, right? And, I, you know, I mean, let's not forget that humans are lazy by design. We want to optimize the world for simplicity, familiarity. So even when people become very worried and alarmist about the potential for automation, that's because we want it that way. If something is can be standardized, we standardize it and it can be automated, we automate it. Now, with that also comes the tricky part, which is to reinvest the time we save on more fulfilling and intellectually rewarding or stimulating activities, which doesn't happen automatically. But I think that, you know, by and large, um, AI will be commoditized. Organizations will differentiate on the quality and the uniqueness of their data. That's their IP, right? And everybody's talking about that. But leadership is what makes companies effective or not, and what makes cultures desirable or not, based on the insights that you have or the data that you have. It isn't really the data, it's about the people. And, you know, and I think whenever something is automated, we have to have faith in human ingenuity to find something else to do with our imagination. Look. Spotify or other companies or platforms may soon have so much reliable data on consumers' musical preferences that they might even be able to automate some of their artists. But that wouldn't kill human musicians. It would just shift the parameters of creativity onto something that AI cannot do. And you know, and I think that model can be applied to anything, whether it's art, business, management. If something is repetitive and standardizable, you know, let the technology do it so that we can actually shift to uh, higher value activities that machines cannot crack it. I love it when a loop closes itself, Jason. <laughs> just, Tomas just mentioned leadership and we're talking about listen. I mean, isn't that sort of the best first use case of AI for improving our human experience of work is to serve as a listener to improve leadership? I mean, I think what's so interesting, uh, yes, Jess, and, or, but, all of those words, 
Um, I think what's really interesting is the number one question, and Thomas, I'd love you and Katerina's view on this, because I've been asked it if 50 times this week, like, which I think is fascinating to me. Where do we get started on AI? Mm. Uh, you know, and I mean, you, you saw in the chat, I put this is not like putting in a new HCM system where it's going to take two years and, you know, Katerina trying to justify the budget, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, experimentation is happening every day by all of us when it comes to AI. So I'd love your thoughts as to, you know, how how people can just start and learn, because I'd love them to do it this weekend. Besides spot, using Spotify. Right. Tied yeah. to work, specifically to work. Yeah, specifically to work, I think one of the things, if uh, and I can't almost not believe that everybody has tried, but not to make it some something big or scary or something that's going to happen in the future. I guess the one of the things, obviously, is to start to toy around with the tools that are actually there that can actually do tangible things. Um, and so that would be one thing, meaning, for instance, try some of the tools that might not be there or for go kind of the whole length of using um, and comparing and benchmarking, uh, for instance, chat GPT, uh, what does that actually mean? Then also to start to have the conversation of the principles and if that is is okay to do that. I think just to have those really, like now I'm on a bring really, really down to a, a, a low level, but having really good conversations so you know what maybe your resistance is, like, is it cheating to ask ChatGPT to write me a message that I will put on the internet if we, if you have one? Or is it more cheating? Uh, or is it the similar to ask my comms person to write it to me and then me still posting it? Because I think that has happened in so many organizations that somebody actually writes your posts or your updates or whatever message, or no matter if it's going to be an oral kind of presentation, somebody did that. Is it more cheating now when it is AI and LLM that help you do that? In 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 so many ways, I think there are also so many answers to that. But at least you know what it is and also how fast it acts. The second thing is, I think a lot of organization right now, if they are using it, they go, yeah, yeah. But then now we need to recruit a lot of people that are good at prompting because depending on how good you are at prompting to the chat GPT, you also get like more or less clever kind of solutions or ready to go kind of, of, of text material. Yeah, but hey, ChatGPT is also fastly changing and developing. So soon it will prompt for you. It will start to ask you the questions, obviously, that you should have known that you should have done. So you got the right text that you needed for that specific mission. So I think these, it's, 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 I think it's one layer of questions you have to do when it comes to kind of principles, which is the ethics and the, the but if you get stuck there and go like, I'm not going to try that because of the second, there's what, what tangible tools are there that actually will save time uh, that I can kind of toy around with. I don't necessarily have to then use it, but at least so I know that it's not something scary or something that will happen tomorrow. And then I think for all of us in HR, there are so many things that are really already working, especially within, you know, talent acquisition, but also in other areas um, where it's helping us and where it works really well. Uh, but that you still need to have that layer of, hey, 
what do we do with all that data or what do we do with that personal touch that is knowledgeable knowledge and, and skill set and other things that we need to talk at um, you know add to it there's a couple of questions in the chat uh and we can validate jason from some events we've done uh that use of ai what people perceive as ai this is, becomes a definition game but certainly generative AI is still very low in most HR functions. Day-to-day -day use and everyday workflows and delivering services, still very low. And the question came up uh, earlier in the chat, what if we're already behind? We're not a technology forward company. There's a lot of other technical debt we should be paying across the function. Do we begin with this when we're already behind on all of the other things? Thoughts on that? Well, I think, you know, maybe, I mean, I. I don't think one can say with any degree of objectivity, are we behind or not? Because what's the, you know, what's the benchmark or the baseline? You know, there isn't, I mean, you know, and actually from what we are seeing so far, most of the users at the individual level are actually for creative and, you know, uh, even artistic uh, tasks, which is quite interesting, right? Because I think it's in the interaction between humans and AI, which comes through experimentation, trial and error, but also having the humility to ask questions and wonder and learn that we can actually see the most interesting case studies of this. So I would say, you know, at an organizational level, have an open mind and have the humility to prove yourself wrong in terms of your intuitions which going back to the previous discussion is something that is missing a lot you know the we accuse ai of biases because when it turns out something that we disagree with you know we assume it's wrong and that we are right and you know that's that's a problem it's also i think as problematic or disadvantageous to be on the extreme case of either banning it because it's scary and you know it's going it's going to basically make people lazy or corrupt their performance or assume that you're going to get massive substantial gains in productivity already if you treat people like productivity machines they are not going to be very happy and that's the wrong approach and i think those who are motivated by quick financial gains reducing costs increasing efficiencies etc are missing some of the potential value that this tool has so i would say look nobody has figured out exactly what the opportunity and possibilities are and you know in 5 or 6 months we're probably not going to be talking about the same version of ai it's going to be something else so build decent capabilities reskill and upskill your team and your people start with the problem not with the solution i think mostly for hr it is how can i help the organization understand and manage people better if i have better quality of information and insights and how can i solve existing business problems learn from your mistakes define what success look like pivot iterate you know and and that's it i mean i think the most important thing is to put a culture in place where the conditions are there for people to experiment learn and become better at it. And the goal is not perfection, but finding better ways of being wrong and incremental improvements over the status quo, which often is a very low bar, right? So let's also not expect perfection when you're using technology when actually the reality is often a very, I mean, you know, low hanging fruit or low bar. So Thomas, just a quick question, because I, I want to get some, Bob put something in the chat uh, responded to Katarina, which said, why I don't understand why people are getting bent out of shape, re-AI, help with writing a resume or writing an article. 
or things like that. You know, did anyone care when you paid a pro to write it? Um, which I think is a really interesting point. Um, how do, how can, how long is it gonna take us to get over this? Like the fear of bringing a calculator when the teacher said we could bring a calculator. Um, that we're ashamed to say we're using AI uh, in certain cases. Does that make, does the question make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think, and I think the calculator for words is a nice simple example. Yeah, look, I mean, I think I, all of this happens in organizations. I'll give you a more radical example, which is education and universities. I'm part of two very good universities, UCL and Columbia. 80 or 90% of my colleagues want to ban ChatGPT and generative AI because they think it is a disgrace, heretic, and you know, it's stopping students from thinking. I am forcing my students to use it, right? So instead of saying, write an essay on Freud, I tell them, write an essay on what ChatGPT gets wrong about Freud, and then they have to think. And ultimately, you know, if something can be done by technology, let's find a way to incentivize people to do the things that technology cannot do. It's a challenge for leaders and managers. So therefore, I think there's a lot of pushback other than probably because we are naturally defensive and we now see that something might be more intelligent than us, even though if we created it, it should make us more intelligent to have created that. And fundamentally, I think people are even territorial of the fact that this thing can hallucinate or bullshit, you know, because we thought we always thought bullshitting was a unique uh, human ability and skills. And now we even have something that can make stuff up. Okay, so we opened Pandora's box in the chat. We have to go here. How can how can AI democratize work, create meritocracy around work opportunities, skill development? rethinking how work actually gets done. We're calling it displacement of workers in the chat. That's not what it is. We're talking about changing the way work gets done. Can we comment on that? I think we can. So I I, I think most likely we will take two different examples, but we created uh, an internal talent marketplace, uh, uh, like I, I want to say two years ago. And then of course, before that, all managers, succession planning, whatever system you had in place, or it was very much different managers doing different kind of calibrations and you try to make it, make it very kind of fair or whatever you would like to call, call, call that kind of the system. But it was always up to, you know, uh, kind of a, a discretionary up to does my manager see me, hear me, confirm me, develop me, challenge me, whatever. So with this, notion and it's built the same way as our platform so if we have listeners on one side and artists on one side the same thing is with the internal marketplace we have all the employees on one side and then we have all the opportunities on one side so depending on you doing that job having your profile updated now the system ai is matching that so instead of me going like i don't necessarily like thomas that much but i think jason is awesome and and Jess is very close to me. If you're a truly global company, right? The yeah. things that we have in there, obviously there will be managers. Obviously HR owns the tools. There are things that we would like to add, right? Or we sometimes we need to nudge the person that because he, she, they did not go in and use the tool. But we have now a usage that is more than 95%. And this is helping us. And obviously we have to improve. But I think that democratizes the opportunity for everybody where they are in the world, because we do have people from Sydney to San Francisco. Otherwise, it could be, you know, quicker promotion if you were in the mothership or in Stockholm, because it's a Swedish company. 
And I think this is where it works and helps us. Instead of also sitting in long, almost weekly, if you put all the, the hours together for calibration exercises, the technology does that for you right now. And it does it with the same way. Can it improve? Yes. Is it like nuanced? Not necessarily, but I think it's more fair than mm -hmm. ever and faster too. More fair than humans, perhaps, because it uses so many data inputs to produce outputs that we get to validate. Tomas, sure. I'd love you to have yeah. the closing comment on that. Yeah. So first of all, you know, I think if we can automate CV writing, of course, why not? CV writing is an irrelevant skill. I mean, it's a process that it's silly and it's a proxy for showing what you have done in the past. And, you know, I mean, we can access that information without you having to write it. And, you know, there's just so much noise there and it's not a very good predictor of anything. I think there are three reasons why AI could make hiring and the talent world more meritocratic. One is it can help us measure the value people have in a team or organization, which is still judged by very subjective standards. There's this wonderful paradox whereby the more skilled you are, the more you get paid for doing your job, and the more senior you are, the harder it is to know whether you're actually any good at it, because so much of it is reputational management. And I think that can be sanitized in a healthy way by, the, by AI. Secondly, AI is very good at learning things, but much better than humans at unlearning things. Mm. The only way to pick up the signals of potential that somebody might have while ignoring things like gender, race, socioeconomic class, age, attractiveness, is if you remove humans from the judging system. And thirdly, by definition, if you have access to a lot of people, AI can help you broaden your pipeline of candidates, even look at a potential marketplace, but it's just not possible to, you know, evaluate or assess on a high touch human intermediated base, you know? So I think fundamentally there are great opportunities just because we have seen examples of where things haven't been done right, doesn't mean they have to be wrong. And that's why I think, you know, we may have accidentally created a tool that has the ability to de-bias organizations and systems. Humans are biased by design. If you have a human brain, you are biased, a biased, you know, uh, animal or species. But maybe we created something that can de-bias decision-making. And that's how I look at AI in an optimistic way. Oh, God, I loved this conversation. I knew I would. Jason. <laughs> I was like, okay, it's 2 a.m. And I'm just still, I, I could go for another two hours. Um, I know. Especially reading Adam and Bob and Steve. I could just go back and look at uh, um, all of this stuff. That's uh, no. that's being put in here, um, Megan. Well, Jason, Jason, in the future, the real you might be sleeping, and your deep fake might be running these, uh, you know, video cards. Thomas, uh, that's the shit that freaks people. <laughs> that's the stuff that freaks people out. We're just talking about helping someone with their CV at the moment. We're not talking about. Oh deepfake. come on! I mean, I would love to have deep fake Thomas in twenty or thirty percent of the meetings that I'm attending right now, <laughs> and uh, I can assure you, if people don't see the difference, everybody's very happy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what an well, amazing, this is a great conversation! Thanks, you guys, so much for being here. Um, having us connect with these guys on LinkedIn. They both write a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. just reading the chat. Sorry, Thomas. Uh, now you've started a whole another stream on that topic. But uh, I really appreciate you guys being here. 
uh, Justin, I um, can't wait to see you guys both in uh, Paris at Unleash, which is great. Thomas, we'll try to get together for a drink in London uh, when I'm there. Uh, yeah, now can. I have formal, massive formal about Paris. I didn't know or got the invite, but anyway. Well, come uh, now you do. Now you do. <laughs> now you're going to be there with us. Stage. Yeah, that's not somewhere I want to send my deep fake, by the way. That's the one where. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, thanks you guys so much. Jess, have a great weekend. Our community, have a great weekend. I'm going to go ahead and start our, our walk-off music. Everyone take care. Thanks for being here. Love you all. Everyone. Bye.